This podcast is made possible by the generosity of supporting members. Please visit dharmaocean.org to learn more about becoming a supporting member. You are listening to the Dharma Ocean Podcast. In the second part of this talk on Bodhicitta, Reggie says that after his enlightenment, the Buddha heard the cries of suffering in the world and felt a welling up of compassion. This love compelled him to help free sentient beings from samsara through teaching the Dharma. This excerpt is from a talk given in Awakening the Heart, a somatic training in Bodhicitta, an audio course produced by Sounds True. It is available for download in the dharmaocean.org online store. And so the story says that the Buddha hung out in this state of immense freedom and a spaciousness. It says that residing in that state was very blissful for him, and the fact that the final burden of the self-conscious me had been laid down was experienced as a a kind of uh, spiritual ecstasy, in a sense, ecstasy in the sense of standing outside of one's small self and really abiding in the totality. Uh, One of the accounts says that he abided in this state for seven days, Another one says that he abided in this state for seven weeks. And his sense was that there really was nothing left to do. There was nothing further to do. And he could be in this state forever. Sometimes we do find ourselves in the state of tremendous openness of ultimate bodhicitta. And if we are consistent practitioners, that experience is going to be something we're familiar with. And we feel that way too. You know, when we let go into the state of ultimate bodhicitta, we also feel that it's complete and nothing else is needed. But then, unlike the Buddha, in our case, things happen and we react, and the old, deep, unconscious habitual patterns emerge and take us over. And that just notifies us that we do have things that are left to do. But in the case of the Buddha, you know, from the viewpoint of his own journey, truly there was nothing left to do. And he he considered the possibility of simply sitting there forever. And maybe if he found food, he would live. And maybe if he didn't find food, he would die. And it was not of a concern to him because at that point, his state of being was tuned into the totality. He discovered himself as the totality of all being. Once the ego falls away, that's what happens. That's what happens to us. So he's sitting, he's feeling everything around him. He is open to, at a level of sensitivity, probably unimaginable by any of us to the the world around him, you know, the breezes blowing through the jungle. He was sitting under his tree. 
where he had meditated, hearing the birds, deer, you know, periodically roaming, coming by. When it rained, sitting there with the tree, sheltering him when the sun was out, sitting in the shade. So it it was a very, according to the tradition, it was a very vast and very beautiful and very fulfilled existence. But then something happened, and this was not something that the Buddha anticipated at all. He began to hear crying and weeping and wailing. He began to hear the suffering of the world, and he heard it. It wasn't just that he thought about it. He began to see, he began to hear, he began to feel how the world of sentient beings is in this tumult of desperation and fear and confusion and self-deception and aggression and torment and suffering, and he he sat with that, and it became his total reality. And out of that insight arose from the very depths of ultimate bodhicitta in an entirely spontaneous manner, love and compassion and desire to meet the suffering of sentient beings and to help sentient beings, to help them free themselves also from the ocean of samsara, from the ocean of suffering that is our human lot. Based on that experience, He rose from his tree. He thought about his former teachers. He had had several teachers that had helped him a great deal. He wanted to share what he had found out with them, but the two main ones had died in the meantime. And then he sought out some companions, five companions with whom he had practiced before he disappeared into the jungle on his own. And he began to teach them. And from that point onward, he taught them, and they taught other people, and the whole tradition grew. And it was a tradition of compassion, and it arose out of the ultimate bodhicitta of the Buddha's realization. So the key point, I think, that is illustrated, you know, for us, the important point of this story, is that once we develop a deep relationship with ultimate bodhicitta, there's a very natural thing that happens, which is that we begin to sense within the experience of ultimate bodhicitta a certain kind of energy, a certain kind of uprising, you know, rising up demeanor of the space. That is ultimately it, it evolves, and you know we're going to track that actually in this training program in, in the next few sessions. What's arising here out of the depths of ultimate bodhicitta is the very same thing that arose out of the depths of ultimate bodhicitta for the Buddha. 
And that is something that develops into compassion and love for the world and for all the beings who suffer and an inspiration and an aspiration to be with them and to help them find their way to their own completeness and their own freedom and their own joy. So, this is a subtle point. The most primary form of energy of awareness is the life force itself. And this is a very traditional Tibetan teaching that inseparable from ultimate bodhicitta is the life force. This is a Vajrayana point, and it's a really important, really, really interesting Vajrayana point, that when we meditate and we are resting, we feel very empty and we feel very open and we feel possibly, as many meditators do, we feel that the emptiness is actually the ultimate reality. You know, we often feel that way, and when we begin meditating, we feel that way. That the whole point is to get rid of everything, 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 so we experience just an absolute and total, utter emptiness, end of story. When we are feeling that, according to the Vajrayana tradition that I was trained in, we are actually experiencing something extraordinarily profound, but it's incomplete. In Buddhism, they talk about, in Vajrayana Buddhism of this lineage, they talk about the two, two kinds of emptiness. The first kind of emptiness is where everything falls away and there's nothing there, and that's the one that I mentioned could be seen as nihilism. But if we explore, if we are willing to move on and not hang on to the idea that ultimate reality is utter emptiness and end of story, we will begin to discover within the emptiness just what we did discover in our practices, that there is an energetic aspect to emptiness. And it is, at, at its most fundamental level, it's the life force itself. It's the most primordial form of energy in the universe, and it lies behind everything, not just human life, animal life, plant life, but behind everything, this life force. And the life force, as we will see as we go on, the life force is the most primordial form of love that exists in the universe. And it itself evolves into a deep compassion, deep love for all things, and it evolves into all of the kinds of human love that we experience, you know, for our children and for our, our partners and our friends and our parents and the people we meet and the people we try to help, the people we connect with in life. Uh, you know, the life force is not a neutral thing. To download more of Reggie's teachings, find out about upcoming retreats, and to explore a variety of audio listening guides to assist you on your spiritual journey, please visit dharmaocean.org.
Our music is by Jeff Beale and Nawang Ketchog from the album Tibet Cry of the Snow Lion. <laughs> 